I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Megan Murphy. This week, we'll be talking about pay as bankers struggle to come to grips with new regulations put down by the FSA and other global regulators. British Bankers Association is trying to negotiate almost a concerted drop in the amount of bonuses paid across the city. We'll also be taking a look at a new report out from McKinsey. They're suggesting banks are likely to try to cut down on their long-term lending, shifting them over into more rollover funding to address some of the liquidity issues. And we're going to finish this week by taking a look at Ireland as a deepening debt crisis there. The really big question is how much of an Irish banking system is going to be left at the end of this. I mean, Bank of Ireland is basically the only commercially owned bank that's now not bailed out completely by by the Irish government. I'm going to be joined this week by Brooke Masters, our chief regulation correspondent, Patrick Jenkins, and Anusha Skui, capital markets reporter. Let's start off with pay this week. Um, There's a report this morning that British banks have been in discussion about possibly cutting their bonus pools, which doesn't seem to be anything new. But we are seeing banks having to grapple with a myriad of sort of regulatory reforms here. How do we think we're, they're doing on this and what can we expect to see as we approach year end? Well, what we emerged this morning with BBC reporting that the British Bankers Association is trying to negotiate a almost a concerted drop in the amount of bonuses paid across the city. It seems that maybe is a bit premature, but certainly this is going to be a hugely sensitive topic. The idea that bankers' bonuses are going to be paid towards the beginning of next year, just as the public sector pay cuts themselves and, and job cuts and so on are coming through the tension there. Everyone is is fully aware that that's going to be a, a very difficult period. So no surprise that this is uppermost in the minds of both politicians and bankers at the moment, but how they resolve it is anyone's guess. Yeah, Brooke, we've talked quite a bit about and written quite a bit about how it it would be difficult for any type of global coordinated um, restriction on bonuses. What do you see as the problems facing that type of proposal? There's basically two big problems in global restriction on bonuses. One is a legal one, that it is anti-competitive and probably illegal for banks to agree how much they're going to pay, because any individual banker would then have grounds for a class action suit, certainly in the U.S. and probably here, for restraint of trade. Secondly, there is just not the same interest in the U.S. in restraining bonus pools. The U.S. has not had the same sort of enormous public sector cuts, at least not yet, and there just is not the same kind of interest in getting involved in bonuses. The Fed has put out some guidelines for banks, but there are no laws, no rules. It's all much lower key there. And since the U.S. always leads on pay, if the British banks choose to restrain themselves, they're going to lose their people to the U.S. banks. Those are two key issues. I mean, I think the the biggest problem we're going to see is when international banks uh, who've had to accrue a higher proportion of their revenues toward pay after a third quarter that was marred by uh, poor performance in equities and, and debt trading markets. Last year, we saw banks uh, as sort of one measure to reduce public outrage really 
cut down those percentages, which historically had averaged between 40 and 50 percent of revenues going to pay, cut them down to, to 30s and even high 20s in the case of Royal Bank of Scotland. It's really difficult to see how banks are actually going to be able to get there, naming names, uh, UBS and Credit Suisse and some others who've, who've seen those percentages drift back upwards after a poor third quarter, how we're going to get those back down. Um, I think banks are going to have to be either choose to pay their people or choose to address public furor. And in my sense from banks is that they're actually less concerned about it uh, this season than they were last season and that they're going to w- willing to take the risk to pay their people. We've got an upturn coming. And so the banks can see the way out if they can hang on to their people through the downturn. And so I, I can't imagine they're at this point, they're really going to actually you know, cut the feet off the people that they really want to keep. It's going to be a tricky one. Let's turn to this really interesting McKinsey report, which is out tomorrow. Um, Brooke, what are some of the headlines coming out of that? McKinsey's gotten some fairly detailed information from the inside from 45 of the biggest European banks and the biggest U.S. banks, the six giants, including Wells. What's interesting about the McKinsey report is they start targeting specific product lines that are likely to be hit hard by this and also making some suggestions about how banks might adjust. They're suggesting banks are likely to try to cut down on their long-term lending to um, corporates, shifting them over into more rollover funding to address some of the liquidity issues. They're also likely to switch the way they do some of that short-term lending from receivables financing to factoring because the risk weightings are different. And I think it's it's beginning to be a window in how the banking industry is going to change and try to address regulators' concerns about risk while still continuing to do their daily business. They also pegged a cost figure, don't they, on how much it's going to cost sort of a mid-sized European bank to comply with the new rules. This is separate from the capital. This is just the simple, you know, IT people, you know, reorganizing kinds of stuff. This is obviously going to be, you know, not great for banks at a time when they're trying to cut their other costs. So it, it's, um, it, it reminds us that regulation in and of itself is complicated. On the other hand, a lot of the stuff that they have to do to make these adjustments is probably stuff they should have done years ago because it's things like improved you know, risk management systems and, and improved computer tracking of where their liquidity is being spent. And banks should have been doing that anyway. Okay, well, let's turn now to Ireland since we have Anusha here with us today, which is definitely the pressing issue of the day and where markets are focused. Anusha, what are we seeing after the weekend? Are they or aren't they going to take this bailout? This morning's been a bit of a, a damp squib, I have to say, in sort of comparison to a lot of the speculation over the weekend, you know, the denials about whether or not they were talking to the EU about the bailout. I mean, clearly at some level there seems to be some talk. So I think all that has still to play out. So um, and for more clarity to, to come out about what funding they may take from, from the EU or how that might happen, markets are still sort of figuring that out and waiting for news. So on, on that point, we have to wait and see. However, the markets have reacted positively to it, and uh, Irish bond yields, or they have tightened this morning, and the bond yields for Ireland have fallen. Um, last week, they had risen up to over eight and a half percent, and that was obviously starting to cause a lot of concern. So, there's bit the retracement there will be a bit of a relief. Portugal, however, on the other hand, um, speculation by its uh, foreign minister of the weekend about whether or not um, that country's debt troubles would lead it to be expelled from the eurozone um, has led to its uh, bond yields uh, wide this morning, so not good news for them. Those comments seemed you know, sort of strange for someone to make. I mean, given what's going on in Ireland, just the sensitivity over this issue and how careful Ireland is being right now, as you said, about not indicating one way or another, sort of even how far talks with the EU have, have gone, you know, every single public pronouncement being poured over by the press for some level as to where they're at. And, and then we had these comments out of Portugal. I mean, how do you think investors are, re- are reacting to 
to that sort of commentary. In hindsight, if you looked at what happened to Greece, so you saw you saw Greek bond yields you know, rise uh, to quite an alarming level when we got to May and there was the announcement of the EEC, the EU bailout. And we saw some relief after that. However, Greek bond yields remain very high. Investors will be making their minds up now about the long-term solvency of these countries, whether or not they think there's restructuring. So any sort of short-term news flow is obviously very important and it will move bond yields here and there. But I think there is probably a long-term... Uh, view that investors are sort of figuring out now about where they're sort of pricing in um, sort of, you know, uh, compensation they need to be buying uh, these Eurozone governments at bonds. And Patrick, people have talked a lot about contagion fears and what impact uh, particularly Ireland could have on the UK banks. We've obviously got RBS having huge exposure there with Ulster. How concerned are people here about the impact that could have? I think there's a great deal of nervousness. Um, you've seen the share prices of RBS, as you mentioned, um, and Lloyd's to a certain extent, which also has um, big uh, Irish exposure, fluctuate quite quite a lot in uh, towards the tail end of last week. Um, that's obviously not to mention the the huge uh, volatility in the Irish bank's share price when when um, Bank of Ireland warned on profits on. Friday, uh, you know, they unsurprisingly uh, got hit somewhat, although uh, it was kind of factored in uh, into the price uh, in in terms of the share price falling over the previous couple of weeks anyway. The really big question is um, how much uh, of an Irish banking system is going to be left at the end of this. I mean, Bank of Ireland is basically the only commercially owned bank that's now not bailed out completely by, by the Irish government. Um, and I'm sure bondholders in those banks um, are, you know, uh, certainly as worried, probably more worried than holders of the sovereign debt at the moment. Um, you know, we've we've we haven't got really any details yet. I think I'm right in saying, Anusha, um, about precisely how much of those bondholders' um, assets are going to be wiped out um, in terms of the the bailouts that we've seen of of the likes of. Um, what will be interesting this week is. Um you know what we've got coming up in in coming days are the tender results for Anglo Ireland um, Irish's uh, uh, you know the tender that it's doing to essentially impose losses on subordinated um, creditors. So that will be interesting to see how how successful they have been in yeah. in imposing those and whether that also sets a precedent for yeah. other similar structuring. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys think it's realistic this talk about the Chinese or the U.S. or coming in and sort of picking up some of these assets, banking assets that are out there? I think personally that. Um, for foreign banks to be coming in is pretty incredible, given the level of uncertainty at the moment. But I was talking to one uh, big um, private equity restructuring kind of specialist on Friday who was actually pretty upbeat. Um, you know, there is, there's an interesting uh, demonstration of confidence that will be shown in the EBS Building Society, which is um, there's an auction going on for the sale of that in Ireland at the moment. One of the potential buys is a, is a private equity consortium. If they get that, um, I think that's a real sign that certainly Ireland could trumpet as a, as a you know sign of confidence that foreign investors, albeit non-bank investors, um, more sensitive, politically sensitive investors, but nonetheless foreign money coming in that they can they can shout about, and maybe there'll be more of those deals to be done. Well, it's one to watch definitely this week. Um, that's all we have time for today. So thanks to Brooke and Anusha and Patrick for joining us today. And thank you for listening. Banking Weekly is produced by LJ Felicani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.